it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Shri and Peter. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, one of the CPG Guys. When I'm not podcasting, I lead business-to-business strategy at Fetch Rewards, mobile loyalty platform. I'm coming to you today from the Shop Talk Conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. The other CPG guy, Sheree, is way across the country at the FMI show, so he's unable to join us today, but you're here in spirit, Shree. We miss you terribly. Um, we're going to have a great conversation with a dear friend of both of ours today. Can't wait to get to it. There are, oh my God, almost 10,000 people at this conference. It is overwhelming. I am just at an absolute gobsmack. Holy moly, I didn't know there were this many people. A little bit of pent-up frustration, but seriously, over the next three days, or just this really is a confluence of so many great industry leaders uh, luminaries really talking about everything on the channel digital, and I'm just so glad I'm right here in the center of it. Before we get to today's guest, I want to remind our audience, uh, please visit cpgguys.com. You can access all of the content we create. It's all free. In addition to the podcast, which you can find on every major and minor platform that exists, there's all sorts of other content. We have a list of all the podcasts we like to listen to when we don't listen to ourselves talk, and you can find our social media accounts as well there. So please go visit CPG Guys. And of course, don't forget to check out our sister podcast, the FMCG Guys. That's right. We've gone European. Our dear friends, Ephraim and Daniel, have taken the CPG Guys format across the Atlantic, and they are speaking with industry luminaries from CPG and fast-moving, that's a fast-moving consumer goods over there, as opposed to CPG, and retail and they're taking uh, a definite European spin on the CPG Guys model. So make sure to visit fmcgguys.com and learn more about their podcast. It's really great, and they've had some outstanding guests to date, and it's only getting bigger. And we're looking forward to seeing them when we're over at Shop, Top, Shop Talk Europe this June. should be a fun trip for all of us. Um, and let's not forget uh, that the CPG guys are so proud to be partnered with Next Up, the formerly known as Network of Executive Women, and they are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is dedicated to advancing all women in business and promoting gender equality in the workplace. We're so proud of the mission of this organization. We talk about it in just about every episode. And if you want to learn more about this worthwhile organization, go to nextupisnow.org slash CPG guys. That must mean we're an official partner of theirs and you can learn more about it. All right, let's get to why our conversation is here today. Uh, No consumer packaged goods segment has been more dramatically transformed as a result of the pandemic than consumable groceries. That's pretty hard to argue that. You know, prior to March 2020, e-commerce accounted for probably less than 4% of food and beverage sales. Today, that number is north of 10%, maybe even 15%. And suddenly, people of all ages during the pandemic were turning to e-commerce to secure their grocery needs that were challenged by all the supply chain constraints brought on by the pandemic. So you saw an incredible amount of, of household penetration across different age demographics in particular. Everybody's engaged in it. They can't find the brands they want. They have to deal with substitution. Suddenly, they're very engaged. 
And e-commerce for food and beverage went from, a, oh, isn't that a nice little to have to, wait, I got to build a real digital shelf strategy. So here to speak with us about the transformation going on in Omnichannel Grocery is a very dear friend of the podcast. She joined us back in 2020 when she was at Johnson & Johnson. Now she's Senior Director and Global Head of Insights and Analytics at Mondelez International, Toblerone Bars, oh, staple of our household. You know my wife. This is true. Anyhow. I've known her for over 15 years. I think we met when you were seven, maybe. Okay, anyway. exactly. I, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, we uh, we worked on site together at IRI at PepsiCo headquarters. Her career has taken her through many notable consumer goods manufacturers, including Mars, Pernod Ricard, GSK, what is now Racket, and of course now Mondelez. So please join me in welcoming back to the podcast my dear friend, Christina Marinucci. Hey, Christina, how are you? I'm doing great. It's so nice that it's been way too long. It's I been know. It's been too long for all of this, right? What yeah. are they calling it? Retail's great reunion? It, it feels really, like that. It does feel like that. I, 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 and you know, I'm a hugger and we hug all the time. I'm hugging everybody that I come across. Like, oh, be damn the panda and the <laughs> COVID. I I need to hug people. Me I need too. to it's been I a need long to be time. connected. It really has been. So uh, so you got here today, and you've been walking the show floor. Uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit about that. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us about what's gone on with you? You've jumped over to Mondelez. Why don't you tell us a little bit about? First, remind our audience what Mondelez is. I gave one big brand name away, but would love to know a little bit more about Mondelez and what your role is and what your team looks to support the enterprise. Yeah, happy to do so. So as you said, I lead global shopper insights and analytics at Mondelez. So Mondelez is a global leader in snacking. So everything from chocolate, which you know we love chocolate, to biscuits, cookies, um, candy, gum, Everything, right? It's a pantry staple, I'll say. Uh, so there, you know, I came on to help with the Shopper Insights and Analytics and really to take more of a holistic approach to how we think about Shopper. Obviously, as you said, pre-COVID, you know, 90% plus of our business was in stores, right? Brick and mortar, and that is our bread and butter. But we quickly had to jump to 2030 and those plans in about you know a year and accelerate that pace to really understand where our shoppers are, how we create that frictionless experience, and really how we leverage that omni-channel behavior, no matter where they are, to create that one seamless brand experience for them. Okay, so we're going to, to our audience, we're going to include in the digital liner notes this podcast a link to Christina's LinkedIn profile. And of course, Mondelez on LinkedIn and their website. You can learn more about it. The CPG guys are huge fans of Mondelez. If for no other reason than the customized Oreo ID product that you offer, you know, the CPG guys like to send out cookies with the CPG guy logo on it, dipped in white chocolate with all the blue sprinkles. <laughs> oh, what a great idea. And we can't wait to go down, take a trip down to New Jersey and go to the Oreo Cafe. Oh, yes. That mm-hmm. looks like an absolute uh, delight of an experience. So um, let's let's start off uh, with, with something I think it's on everybody's mind right now is what are you hoping to get out of shop talk what is it that brought you here and has got you kind of excited you know i really want to learn from other countries like data the data conundrum like what are they doing with all this data how do they make sense of it across mediums right online to offline and um, how they bring it seamlessly together 
also, you know, the e-commerce space being what it is and growing so much has created definitely opportunities, but also challenges, especially for consumable like food and beverage. So how do we continue to drive that unplanned impulse purchase online? And as retailers are thinking about, you know, creating even more seamless checkout opportunities, I just heard Kroger say they're testing a full basket uh, subscription service. So we already know online is more planned, less opportunities to really interrupt that shopper. So hearing more about like where their head is going around that, around click and collect, those type of fulfillments, obviously, you know, metaverse, the new wave of the future, you know, how do we get ahead of that so we're not behind the curve like we were when COVID hit? Um, that's really important to bring globally as I'm driving new capabilities in this space to understand, well, what, what are they? What are retailers thinking about? How can we be a better partner with them to grow the categories? And there's so much transformation going on. Yesterday's keynote with Kath McClay from Sam's Club, she talked about how they developed Scan and Go. And then that led to Scan and Ship, where people are literally walking through the store. They see something they like, but they don't necessarily want to have to carry it all the way home. So they they scan it, and then they purchase it and have it delivered at another point. And it may not be actually during that physical visit to the store. It might be a couple of days later that they get around to ordering it. And so I think at, I think you hit on something really important. You have to figure out how you're going to partner with the retailers and how they're enabling their shoppers to shop the way they want, right, exactly. as opposed to the way you may, may want. Here's a really good question because I've asked this to a bunch of people. Um, obviously with the advent of this data, and you, that's another thing I'm going to want to talk to you about, which is I heard you say very clearly that uh, it's not so much finding the data. You've got lots of data. It's how do you make sense of it? Let's yeah. go back to that in a second. But from, from my perspective, I think what's really interesting about, about what's going on in this industry is that, um, everybody's trying to figure out how they connect to the shopper, where they want to buy. So I guess my first question is this. Is direct-to-consumer like a natural evolution where all brands should necessarily be thinking about going? Or are there certain kind of conditions or prerequisites that, from your perspective, you really need to check off before you decide, yeah, I want to be a direct-to-consumer brand? Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of brands are, it's like shiny object. We have to build a DTC site. It doesn't matter. And, and they, there's some value there, of course, like the whole first party data acquisition strategy, which makes sense. But as you think about DTCs, there has to be a differentiated value proposition going back to, okay, how to shop or shop. And for us, they shop, you know, not one-offs, like maybe for clothing, that makes sense or electronics, but for grocery, it's usually a full basket or a fill-in purchase, which includes more items than just what one brand offers. Um, so I think it's important to then make that proposition clear in terms of why they should come to a DTC and how that is different. Also makes the conversation with our retailers easier to have. Uh, so for us, it's more about gifting. You mentioned Oreo ID. So those personalized custom experiences that you're not going to get on a retailer site. Uh, I was sitting with L'Oreal this morning and they were talking about their strategy being more experiential, like having those tools, the AI technology to match your color, to give you insights, makeup tutorials, et cetera, which you're also most likely not going to get with an e-retailer. So how do you create that experience? And then, yes, it can be about 
acquiring the first party data, but using that to also drive traffic back to your retailers. That's okay too, right? How do you bring that shopper understanding to your retailers to build categories together as well? So that kind of leads me into shoppable media. A question I love to ask, ask brands is, should there be a buy button on digital media? Is that necessarily antithetical to building a brand? Or if you're not going to do direct-to-consumer driving, to your point, your consumers to retailers where they can buy it, is that something that should be an aspiration of brands? Yeah, I think you hit on something there, which is it should be shoppable, you know, or learn. There needs to be a call to action, whether that's learn more uh, or it's buy now, et cetera. But it doesn't always have to drive to your DTC. I think understanding where they are in that journey and in that funnel, you know, what were the keywords? Were they more generic? Were they very specific lower funnel keywords? Then you want to drive to purchase. Are they more exploratory? And this happened at J&J a lot where people were understanding active ingredients, um, use cases, dosing, et cetera. Then, okay, drive them back to your site and they can learn more. But if it's really about the conversion moment, there absolutely should be a buy now button. And it's okay to defer that to a retailer site because a conversion is a conversion at the end of the day. Christina, there are just so many emerging retail media platforms. Everybody's getting in the game. And I think we can both agree that no two media platforms are necessarily the same. There are different nuances. So without naming names, what I'd love for you to talk to our audience about is how do you try to educate the organization on kind of some of the core capabilities mm -hmm. that allow you to, to, well, not allow you, but how do you think about the core capabilities that encourage your investment because you know you're going to get superior targeting abilities, superior measurement results? What are kind of the ABCs that really make you want to focus your organization on investing very judiciously against retail media? Yeah, there are a ton. And I think the skew has always been to look at more of the post analysis to make those decisions. And they definitely push that in terms of the, you know, return on ad spend and so forth. But what we're challenging our uh, organization to do is really think about it in three steps. They have to be strong in each of these individually. Uh, the pre- and you kind of touched on this. So targeting, like what are those behavioral attributes they're bringing forward that's going to give you the ability to, to have really um, spot on targeting, uh, be able to target, you know, users, non-users, lapsed users, et cetera. And then the behavioral aspect of the usage, right? If we want to build more, look at a certain demographic or, you know, a, a certain family composition, et cetera. Uh, and then during. So do they have the ability to be agile and iterative in a flight optimization? Or is it, you know, you're, you're one and done, you have to do your flight and then we'll optimize after for the next one? Or do they really support that process all the way through to help you optimize as you go to get the most out of the campaign? And then obviously the post analysis, which yes, they, a lot of companies share data, but they don't share a lot of data on, you know, the campaign type or what about the campaign drove it or benchmarks. Benchmarks are huge, right? So how do we understand how good is good or how bad is bad? What does this really mean? Um, I think those three together are what we're really looking at to get the most out of our suppliers that we're partnering with. So obviously, 
the skill sets around using retail media will differ from team to team at a consumer packaged goods organization. I think without question, the Amazon teams probably have the most experience because they've been doing this for the better part of 10 years. But how do you start thinking about ensuring that these skill sets, these capabilities, this upskilling penetrates the whole organization? So even as new retail media platforms arise, mm -hmm. that the experience they've learned on accounts like Amazon can be applied throughout the organization. And, and how does that ensure that you're going to get meaningful, meaningful investment, meaningful measurements for, for your brands? So upskilling is very critical, especially in CPG organizations that have grown up in brick and mortar and have served that and really understand the playbook on Catman, right? 101, the traditional Catman. I think for us, it's about bridging that gap, but not making it so arduous to do so, but likening it to that terminology or those KPIs that exist offline. How do we then translate them to their equivalent online? So we're taking some very similar frameworks that we have in offline to help uh, the organization quickly understand how they can drive those same KPIs, but in an online way. We also want to support our retailers in this mission, too, as many of their buyers are not being tasked to manage, you know, both online and offline. So how do we bring that e-catman philosophy to them? Um, so for us, you know, we, we think about things in like this funnel for online, for in-store that's very sequential and linear from, you know, C to scan to select. Uh, online, what does that look like and how does it differ, right? It's more circular. It's definitely more complex. You can jump in at any point and go right to select if you're buying from a favorite or you can, you know, see uh, a brand uh, advertised as a brand you might like on another PDP and then jump right into that engagement there. So it's really important for us to, to have that framework and be able to measure to understand those bottlenecks so we can decide where we need to focus in that funnel um, and do it in a really easy, <laughs> comprehensible way that we're already, that's ingrained in our culture. That's great. So obviously you're here at Shop Talk for a couple of days. You're engaging in conversations with all sorts of people within food, within other consumer goods. Like, what are you hoping to take back from you uh, when you head back uh, and get back to your day job at Mondelez? What are some of the things that you really want to pay attention to while you're here? So interestingly enough, it's probably more futuristic, but the future is here, right? So the metaverse, as I hear more and more brands talking about how they're doing that, I think, you know, as food brands, we shy away from it. So it's really important for us to, you know, we don't have to jump all the way in, but dip your toe, right? Sun was talking about this morning and everything they're doing. And they're obviously, you know, they have dove in. Yeah. <laughs> we, we haven't even, you know, really looked at it. And I don't want it to be, you know, something that comes and we're so far behind, even just getting involved at a personal level, like getting a Roblox account, like going in there, experiencing it, I think is something I will take back because I kind of feel like it's over my head right now. So how do I bring, you know, that understanding to the organization if I myself don't understand it? Live streaming is another one, huge in, in EMEA, right? Um, China is doing great things with it. And I think, again, we put it in this box and say, well, that's more for clothing or that's more for beauty. But it's not, you know, there are a lot of great examples of, you know, consumables, you know, grocery items being part of that same 
uh, forum, that same uh, tool. So how, again, how do we dip our toe in? How do we understand it, learn from others, get that inspiration and really start to test even in a small way? It may not be the right thing, but we don't know that yet. It, what I hear you saying is you got to be curious. You have to pay attention. You have to do a lot of listening. You'll learn a lot more from listening than talking. Yes. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And there's not a better place to do that right now than this event with so many industry leaders just walking the show floor. And I think to your point is you may think that that particular capability is something that's more applicable to a different product vertical, but don't be so quick to judge. Yes. Try to imagine how this might apply to your business. I want to remind our audience that all of our content, our episodes available on over 40 podcast platforms, links to other podcasts we like to listen to, our social media accounts, and our LinkedIn page. You can all find it. It's all free. Just go to cpgguys.com. You'll find it all there. And if you think that you or your company have something to contribute to this conversation, why don't you drop us a line, contact at cpgguys.com. Tell us what you think we should be talking about. Maybe we can have you on a future episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I want to thank Christina Marinucci for taking time out of the Shop Talk conference to sit down and talk with me. I think we had a wide-ranging conversation. She provided some very practical content about how organizations should be transforming themselves in this digital age. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did speaking with her. Sorry, Shri, you can't be with us. Hope it's all going well at the FMI show. To our audience, we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.